Yeah. I very much think I learned throughout my life. I'm on my own, figure it out <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so I, and, and I to have be a honest, tough time asking for. Yes. Yes. And, and to be honest, I think the self-help books can kind of compound that a little bit because they can make it seem as though the problem is yours and yours alone to fix. Yeah. And, um, and so there are these tools that you can learn and when you apply them, you will be fixed, right? Things will be better. Things will be easier. That can get you some of the way there, but it most often because trauma happens in community with others, right? Trauma happens in relationships with other people. It's not like you've traumatized yourself. Um, it happened through things that other people said to you, ways they interacted with you. Uh, and so uh, trying to heal from that by yourself is really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also this idea that this is all my fault. And if I make all the changes, then, uh, then things will be better. Things will be different. Instead of figuring out ways to work with other people to make things different. Hey there, I'm Renee, a former shopping addict turned minimalist mindset guru. In three years, I went from totally broke and burnt out to debt-free minimalist. Learning to simplify every area of my life, both inside and out, saved my marriage, gave me the time back to live my life how I wanted to, and allowed me to love myself like never before. Looking back, the only thing I wish I had had was a friend to share the journey with me. That is my hope for the Unstuffed Podcast. This is a place where you can shake off the need to people please and show up as your authentic self, even if you're still wearing yesterday's sweatpants. Think of this as a standing coffee date with an old friend whose only job is to hear you out, hype you up, remind you that you are already enough, and doesn't mind if your house is a mess. Let's keep this simple. Life is complicated enough. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Hey there, it's me, Renee. Welcome back to the Unstuffed Podcast. Today is a super special podcast episode because for the first time ever, I am hosting a guest star, Jen Lumenlon from the Your Parenting Mojos podcast is going to be sitting down with me and answering some of the really big questions that a lot of parents are too afraid to ask. I just signed up to take her How to Tame Your Triggers Around Your Child's Difficult Behavior totally free masterclass. And I wanted to have this chit chat with her so that you guys could kind of hear and dive in with me to some of the things that we struggle with as parents, those moments of frustration that we find with our kids and what they might really mean on a deeper level. This episode is so amazing and you honestly might want to grab a notebook and pen or sit down because there are a lot of aha moments that I know I went through and I hope you feel them too. With that being said, let's go ahead and start today's episode. So hi Jen, I'm really Hello. excited, really excited to have you here. You want to tell me a little bit about you and what you've been doing yeah. So my name is Jen Lumenlon. I host the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, and it's a, a guide for parents based on scientific research on parenting and child development. And 
So uh, I know a lot of parents want to understand what research says about their child's development, about parenting when they're making decisions, but they don't want to have to be the one who reads it all and yes. <laughs> tries to figure out, well, what does the 10 years, the last 10 years of research say on this topic? Uh, they would, they wish there was somebody else available to do that work for them. Unfortunately, I really enjoy it. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, so we're like, I don't know, 160 or so episodes in, um, and it, it takes probably 20 to 40 hours to research each episode and really go deep into uh, topics like perfectionism and growth mindset and grit and all the stuff that we hear about that we worry about um, and, and try and give parents a sense for, is this something I even need to think about, to care about, to worry about? And if it is, what do I want to do about that? Oh, absolutely. I love that. And I can't wait to continue to dive into your podcast more because I was that parent who was trying to read the books um, and try to understand this, you know, because it's a lot of confusing psychology or it can be. The reason I'm excited to have you on is, you know, I, we have a big blended family. So all together we have four kids, um, you know, two, when I met my husband, he had the two and I really helped him raise one who was his biological daughter. And the girls came from such tough beginnings and so I wanted to be the best parent I could because I was a 20, I was a 20 year old who all of a sudden had a five year old mm. <laughs> and I was going, I need to be the best I can be for her, which is usually mm -hmm. how it goes for us parents. Right. But as so I started reading the books, I started learning, I started trying to understand, we started doing counseling. And as I was trying to help her, I started to feel this need to help myself, but there comes a point where I've read and read and read and read and read and I have all this knowledge and I know all of the things, but how to actually implement it and mm -hmm. put it into practice. Yeah. I mean, essentially we're, we're trying to understand why this is hard, right? This is hard because you're trying to reparent yourself at the same time as you're trying to raise a child. Yes. <laughs> so you're recognizing that uh, even if your parents were amazing parents and they genuinely wanted the best for you and um, and, and they were, they were really doing a great job by conventional parenting standards that in some way your needs were probably not met and, uh, you were not seen as a whole person and, uh, you're, you didn't get the things that you really needed to feel, uh, a true sense of belonging and, and connection based on who I really am, not based on the parts of me that are acceptable out in the world. Um, and so you learn to hide parts of yourself and cover them up and make a big show of other parts of yourself that are acceptable. And, uh, and so you sort of go through the world doing these things and it gets, it gets you along. Okay. Pretty well. It gets you through school. It gets you good grades. You, you get, you know, get, get through all that. Yeah. You got yourself a partner and then Oof, now I've got a child and of course most people get a little more of a lead into with this and, and yeah, they have a baby and they get to figure that stuff out you went right in the deep end I did, I and all of a sudden you've got a five-year-old who is asking to be seen in the same ways that you were asking to be seen when you were a child and somebody shut you down somebody said no that's not acceptable and and you're like wait I want to be the best parent that I can for this five-year-old but I was never seen in that way and that hurts and I don't know how to respond to her. And you're trying to do all this in the moment. Um, and the only clues you have is what you can pick up from self-help books. And this is why this is hard. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's difficult. I would say self-help books because they are very broad because they have to reach everybody yes. where learning ourselves yes. is a whole different thing. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I like what you said about our parents, even if they did their absolute best, mm -hmm still there's some part of us that picked up on things, you know, and you say that I had this 
belief, which it might have come from multiple sources, that my looks were very important. I was basically concerned with making sure everyone around me was happy and it caused so much stress and anxiety so that point yeah. of we're nothing big awful this idea of a big traumatic event doesn't necessarily have to take place in our lives that we can all still be carrying around so much stuff yeah absolutely um so i think uh the, the word triggered has sort of become uh overused a little bit in the last few years um and so i want to be super specific about how we're talking about it when we're using the word triggered there's actually a clinical definition for it and it means that you are uh, having very big feelings in this moment right now, and that that is resulting from some kind of trauma that you have experienced in you know, often in your childhood, but in the past, somewhere in the past, and that is you're reminded of that in this instance right now. Um, and so some of those kinds of uh, traumas might include, you know, what psychologists call big T traumas, which is, you know, the really big stuff, like my parent was murdered, or um, my parent was an alcoholic or a drug addict, or, you know, they regularly put me down and ridiculed me. So the stuff that psychologists know makes a huge impact. Um, and then there's also what are called little T traumas, which is the stuff that if you've got support, you're going to be okay, but they can compound, right? So things like uh, moving house on a regular basis, uh, moving schools, uh, bullying, those kinds of things that uh, can really sort of affect how you see yourself. And uh, so some people go through those things. And of course, there are other people who don't and who look back and say, well, I, I, I don't see any of that stuff. And so I don't understand why I'm still exploding at my child's behavior. And so I think we can sort of look at well, what what does this actually look like in a person? What is this experience? If I'm if I'm feeling triggered or feeling flooded, which is essentially the same experience but without that uh, trauma there in, in the background, okay. then there are a few things that may be happening. I may immediately go into fight mode, right? Like I there is a bear out there and it is threatening me, and I am going to kill that bear, right? I'm yelling, I'm screaming, I'm in people's faces, full on, ready to fight. Uh, some other reactions that people have might be flight, like I am going to get out of this situation as fast as I can. I am running away from that bear and I'm leaving the room. I'm, I'm leaving this conversation. I'm not participating in this. Uh, another potential way that people respond is freeze. And I've seen this described as kind of like having your foot on the accelerator and the brake at the same time. So it's not just that I'm standing here not doing anything. It's that I'm standing here and there is so much yes. going on inside me that is contradictory and it's all happening at the same time. And the only thing I can do is stand here and do nothing. Uh, and then the fourth way that people can respond that has been added, actually psychologists have added it more recently is the idea of fawning. And we see it a lot in people who have experienced abuse as children. And so that may be something like, uh, you know, they would do anything to get the, their abuser to stop doing what they were doing. And now when their child has some kind of big feeling, it's like, okay, okay, you can have the ice cream. Just stop it. Stop crying. Stop crying. So we're, we're trying to uh, shut down that big feeling and get back to what feels to us like a state of calm. Uh, as fast as humanly possible. So, so that's kind of what may be happening in that moment. And just kind of coming back to your example, it, it, even if you had made it through childhood with no big T or little T trauma, this idea that uh, everybody around me is making judgments about me based on how I look. And the fact that uh, I, I need to monitor what everybody else, how everybody else is feeling and adjust my behavior to, uh, to account for that and to make sure that everybody, nobody else has to feel any kind of discomfort as a result of me. 
Um, I mean, that's that's sort of classic patriarchal power structures there, right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> We're going to make sure that the little person in the room doesn't inconvenience the people who are in charge. And so you were trained to do that repeatedly through these kinds of interactions. And that still shapes how you show up in the world today. It can't not because you you were taught that this is really important. It's important to look a certain way. It's important that you don't inconvenience anybody else. Um, and so now when your children do things that are related to those topics, my guess is that big things happen in you. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely do. And I, like I said, when I, when I started with my now older daughter, uh, I can see so many more times where I retaught those things to her. So I have a few questions for you. I guess I would say, mm-hmm. number one, you were talking about the, the freezing and the fawning and the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can almost feel like in different situations, is it possible that we can do all four of them? Like instead of having one that we yeah. cling to? Yeah, it, it really depends on your personality, your temperament, and the kinds of strategies you used when you were a child, right? So so what kind of strategy did you use in a particular situation that you learned over time was a way to navigate that? Um, if somebody told you that uh, it was super important the way you looked, and you're like, but I don't feel pretty right now, and so I don't want to go out into the world, did you kind of just shut down? In which case, when that kind of thing happens again, you may just drop into that shutdown mode without even thinking about it, because that was the tool that you used when you were a child. So some some folks tend to default to one, and this is how they always respond. Others will, uh, it's kind of more situationally based. Okay, that's what I was kind of thinking, that it depends. Because then I would ask again if you have any insight into this. As you're talking about big T and little t, I was thinking I'm a little tear and I'm going, oh, maybe I'm a big tear. And I didn't really realize because trauma to me meant like someone who was kidnapped or who was physically or, um, you know, assaulted or, you know, those types of things. And I would also say I had a multiple household situation. I had two parent households, but then, mm-hmm. you know, when my mom divorce my stepdad I would go visit my stepdad and so I'd have my stepdad and I had my dad's house and I had my mom's house and when I stopped seeing my dad I started going to my step my old stepmom's house again so I mean maybe you know having different responses to yeah how different I environments in each environment all of these family members loved you and were trying to do the best that they could yeah. each one of them had their own expectations uh, their own ways of showing up in the world their own traumas that they were dealing with Um, and that you had to interact with. And is it any wonder that you learned how to work the room, right? You learned how to uh, notice, okay, that person's okay. Is that person okay? All right, now I I can relax. Um, Because you spent your whole life trying to figure out, is everybody else okay? that so I can I can now relax when everybody else is okay Um, and I do just want to say one more thing about the big T trauma um, that the list of things that qualify as big T traumas were developed through a study at Kaiser Permanente which is a health insurer in in San Diego in the 1990s and they basically asked a bunch of people uh, what kind of health problems are you struggling with right now and what uh, which of these list of uh, potential stressors did you experience in your childhood and what they realized was the more potential oh, wow. stressors that people had experienced, the more health problems they were having today. And of course, their sample their sample is uh, is middle class, mostly probably white people who had health insurance in San okay. Diego in the 1990s. Okay. And so okay. this is not including factors like poverty, like racism, that uh, probably should be classified as big T traumas. It's just that nobody thought to include them. Yeah, so. I would be so interested to hear updates that are made with that yes um so big blended family our oldest just started medical school 
and is talking mm-hmm. a lot about the healthcare industry and they're they're really making her aware of the lack of healthcare. Yes. So I know that's a whole different topic, but yeah. very important and I I love mentioning that. I think that needs to be taken into accountability if there is anybody, you know, that's a minority who maybe wouldn't also again wouldn't consider that to be a trauma from me as a perspective as a white woman that the way that I show up in the world uh, can potentially have negative impacts on other people yeah absolutely I know we kind of drifted but that's what so I said you know I think back on going from when I was raising five-year-old you know Mm -hmm. and I think when she was about 10 we I had my my first biological child um, and then a second one came really quickly afterwards and with them, because I was a homeschool, I was a home, stay-at-home homeschool mom for them. So I really had a lot of opportunities to be triggered by my kids <laughs> while also, yeah, trying to please my husband and make sure I'm showing up perfectly for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking good while you're doing it. Yeah. Oh, you have no idea. Yes. The minimalism thing for me was going, I don't want to be that person. But when you talk about that feeling of being triggered, one thing that comes to my mind So it had been one of those days, probably one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those decades where I had been making sure everyone else was okay, making sure this person was well taken care of, making sure this person got to their doctor appointments on time, make sure that I chatted with my husband and asked how his day was and made sure I kept the house clean and made sure I was talking to the kids. And then just, uh, it just all came out. I was so frustrated. And my daughter has always been one. I I told, told myself, I said, I want, if I have a daughter, like if I have my own biological daughter I want her to be vocal I want her to be headstrong you know confident I want her to be that and that is hard because she is that. you know yes, it is. yes it's like oh I, I and I I have to remind myself like I do want this I want this mm-hmm. but I want to be the mom that can help her carry that into the mm-hmm. world too so I had this moment where I go you're being such a brat mm-hmm. and I just something in my body almost went like, like a click, like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I stopped and, and I walked away and I just kind of sat with that for a second. And my instant thought was, I was called that Mm. at some point. So then I tried to sit with, you know, how did I feel when that happened? And I need to find better ways um, to vocalize myself. So I've started kind of embracing those triggers in a sense because it helps me learn so much more about myself. What I started to do just on my own with no tools, you know, yeah. no real tools in my tool bag. I think I happen to be maybe because of my upbringing really in tune internally, but not mm-hmm. everybody is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So do you have a great like or any suggestions for how people can start to recognize their triggers and then what they can go through to process them? Let's take a quick pause because I want to tell you about a workshop that I just signed on to do for the month of October. It's a 10-week workshop that's being hosted by my friend Jen from the podcast Your Parenting Mojo. The workshop is called Taming Your Triggers and it is designed to help parents understand why it is that we get so mad at some of the things that our kids do because most of the time there are some underlying reasons that we haven't yet addressed. If you are a parent who is also on an internal healing journey, I highly recommend joining Jen for her totally free masterclass called How to Tame Your Triggers Around Your Child's Difficult Behavior. Doing this type of work is something that I have been working at for years and I cannot tell you how excited I am to have a group of people who are committed to doing the same. And you can get started totally free by signing up in the show notes.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you've you've really taken some important steps along this journey. So I, I just want to sort of acknowledge that. Um, and, and yes, the the fact that you are able to recognize that feeling in yourself is is super important. And a lot of people are not able to do that. Um, very often, it seems as though these these triggered or flooded feelings come out of nowhere, right? Our child does something, and we snap, and there is nothing we can do about that. We we have no idea where it came from. When actually, very often there were clues leading up to that. So so let's break this down for folks who are listening and thinking, well, how does that work? So you called your child a brat. What was the immediate thing that happened right before that that uh, resulted in you calling her a brat? She was just being very vocal. Like, I, I can't remember yeah. the exact conversation, but I do know what she was... Do you remember what it was about? I think it was her not wanting to do what I was asking. Mm-hmm. Clean your room yeah. or, you know, something. And she was trying to say no, you know, yeah. and not okay. not in a rude way, in a way that she, you know, she was trying to use her voice. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Which... Up here, cognitively, in your brain, you value. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, I do. And yet, it is difficult for reasons we'll get into. Okay, so so um, not wanting to do some something you were asking her to do. And um, how old is she? Well, she's 12 now. This was maybe when okay. she was about 8. Okay, this was yeah. A few years ago. So, I mean, parents of two-year-olds are listening thinking, yes, <laughs> that could have been my two-year-old. So, so the situation is very applicable across a broad range of, of ages. Um, and so you, as you led up to this, as you were describing this, you're saying it's been one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those years, right? So, um, so what I would love to get a sense for is uh, whether you feel as though your needs are being met on a regular basis, right? Do you, if this was a while ago now, um, looking back to that time period, is it likely that your needs were met that day, that no. week, that month? No, definitely not. Yeah. I very much think I learned throughout my life. I'm on my own, figure it out kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so I, and, and I to have be a honest, tough time asking for. Yes. Yes. And, and to be honest, I think the self-help books can kind of compound that a little bit because they can make it seem as though the problem is yours and yours alone to fix. Yeah. And, um, and so there are these tools that you can learn and when you apply them, you will be fixed, right? Things will be better. Things will be easier. That can get you some of the way there, but it most often because trauma happens in community with others, right? Trauma happens in relationships with other people. It's not like you've traumatized yourself. Um, it happened through things that other people said to you, ways they interacted with you. Uh, and so uh, trying to heal from that by yourself is really really hard <laughs> yeah um and, and also this idea that this is all my fault and if i make all the changes then uh, then things will be better things will be different instead of figuring out ways to work with other people to make things different so yeah. um okay so so we have this idea that your needs are not being met and chances are given that you are relatively self-aware you probably knew that right there were probably signals in your body that you noticed that were telling you my needs are not being met maybe you can't remember four years ago what those were but now when your needs are not being met maybe you can think back to yesterday so, what kind of sensations were you feeling in your body so i wouldn't necessarily be able to put that phrase to it where i would say my needs aren't being met i would say nobody cares <laughs> like Nobody cares about me. And that's something I always say. I am showing up so big for all of you. How come nobody's showing up big for me? And it feels sad. It feels like nobody cares. It feels like I just want to run away. I like want to jump out of the car and just go to an island by myself because nobody cares anyway. And how does it feel in your body now to acknowledge nobody cares about my needs? 
it feels like a sinking feeling. Every part of me feels like I just like I'm like a weighted blanket inside. I just feel mm-hmm. heavy. Yeah. And that's not a fun way to move through life. And it is one that is sort of culturally sanctioned, right? It's as a mother, your job is to show up and be everything for your children. Yeah. And um, and at the same time, we're kind of training our children to do the same thing that was done to us, right? We're kind of yeah. training our children that your needs don't matter, that you need to do what I tell you to do. Because that's what you were trying to do, right? Was you were trying to get her to do something and she didn't want to do it and you called her a brat. Yeah. And so, um, so you can look back and think, uh, okay, probably somebody called me a brat. Probably I remember the incident. But uh, for many parents, they'll look back and they'll be like, I don't remember the specific word brat. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't have a solid recollection of that. But the 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 feeling, the idea is still there. Like what would happen if I asserted my opinion? I would be shut down. <laughs> you know, I, I may not remember having been called a brat, but I know that it would not be okay for me to say to somebody, no, I'm not going to clean my room. If my parents said to me, please clean your room or go and clean your room or, you know, depending on how optional that was. Yeah. Um, and so when our child comes to us, who hasn't yet fully taken on these lessons that we learned so effectively ourselves and says, no, I'm not going to clean my room, then then you're in this kind of immediate tug of war, right? Because up here in your head, you have this deep value of, I'm going to raise my daughter to show up in the world as her true and authentic self. Yeah. And there's this hurt little girl inside of you saying, I was never allowed to show up as my true and authentic self. And I wanted to be able to do that. <laughs> uh, and it hurts when when she's saying no to me, and, and you've got these two things that are almost trying to tear you apart in that moment, right? And yes. you're like, okay, standing there, deer in the headlights, what do I do now? And and you explode because you don't know what else to do. Then I, I would ask you, there's the <laughs> other part of me that's like, oh my gosh, if I don't teach her how to clean her room, if she doesn't learn to do these types of things, then she's just going to be like a freeloader who's never going to do anything, you know? there's kind of that other side of worry. Yeah, all that guilt and judgment, right, that you're putting on yourself, mm-hmm. um, that maybe somebody else would say, right, your 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 mother or a friend would walk in and say, I can't believe you let her have a room like that. What are you thinking? What kind of parent are you? Yeah. Um, or maybe they wouldn't. They'd be like, eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. But you would still, you know, are they judging me inside their head even though they're not saying anything? Yeah. yeah. You still put that on yourself. And and that's how society shapes us, right, Is is that nobody even has to say that to us. And you still have that voice in your head saying you need to do all these things. So the framework that we use to kind of explode that, to, to, um, to move away from that idea is this framework of needs and what needs do I have? Um, And so we can do that in a, in a variety of different ways. Firstly, you're talking about how your needs are not met on a regular basis. Um, And so getting more clear on what needs do I have that are not being met? Do I have needs for more rest, more exercise, more self-care time, more connection with friends? You're sitting there nodding at me for those of you who are listening to this. And and you're like, yes, all of those things. things. (laughs) But it's also taken so much effort to figure out what are my needs? Yes. I can't even vocalize them because I don't even know what the heck it is. Well, the thing is you do because you know when they're not being met. Yeah. So when you are exploding, when you are feeling angry, when you're feeling resentful, when you're feeling, ah, something about this isn't right to me in your body, then that's a clue to stop and say, something's missing here. There's something about this is not meeting my needs and I don't know what it is yet. Um, For many parents, it's easiest to do this with the big stuff first, right? Because you see yourself exploding. Um, My my tell is, uh, so there's this big nauseous feeling deep in my stomach. 
And when I get that, it's like, uh, I am about to be shoehorned into something uh, or strong armed into something that I is not right for me. And I'm, I don't know how to articulate that yet. And I'm not even sure what the thing is, but I need to pause. But I have this, <laughs> this clue, this sign. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you, it may be easiest to start with the big things. And then as you get more adept at it, they'll be just like, oh, this little, just this little twinge if something isn't right, or just this little tension in my shoulders. Okay. My body knows that something isn't right. And right. I have a need that isn't being met. And okay, what can I do about that? How can I take a step towards meeting my needs? And the awesome thing about knees is that we're not talking about uh, strategies that we use to meet our need, right? If I have a need for, let's say, connection with another person, there are so many strategies I could use to meet that need. I could go for a walk with a friend. I could call someone on the phone. I could uh, get a hug from my partner. I could hang out with my kid. There's a hundred different ways I could meet that need for connection. We tend to get hung up on the strategies like, I'm going to go for a walk for my, with my friend. There's nothing else I want to do right now. If that's not met, then I'm going to be really angry because I haven't asked for anything for a really long time. Okay. Whereas if we see this need, this underlying need for connection, we can say, okay, what are some ways that I can meet that need? And also I see you, this other person, my child in this relationship, and I see that you have needs too. And I'm going to hold those needs with equal weight as my own and try and meet both of those needs. So um, coming back to your example of the, the tidying up, right? Maybe your underlying needs were for things like order in your house, right? And, um, and maybe there was something there related to respect, um, even though that was sort of difficult because you recognize that she shouldn't have to do everything you say um, because you want her to be headstrong and, yeah. and, and know her own mind. But also there's this culturally sanctioned idea that your kid will do what, what you tell them to. And so there, there's some, something there probably related to respect as well. Yeah, um, I would say so. Are there other things that were going on there that we can kind of translate into uh, needs language? I'm, I mean, I'm not sure, I guess. I, I, I remember I was really very much feeling that I had been giving, 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 giving. Yeah, yeah, and, because your needs hadn't and, been met for the whole I day. I would say I had probably been so focused on family in the house. I had been go, go, go. Probably mm -hmm. hadn't been going to the gym like I wanted. So, so maybe this actually wasn't about her tidying her room. Maybe this was mostly about all of your other unmet needs and you kind of latched onto this strategy of tidy your room as a way to make you feel as though you were in control of something. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. That's all. That's that yeah. was part of why I started the minimalism thing too. It was like, I got to control something because nothing else is going well for me. Right. Um, yeah. Control our need. I put it in inverted commas. Our need for control masks other stuff underneath, right? The fear, the grief, the guilt, the yes. worry, the shame does this make sense as we're talking about it where I say, I always feel nobody cares, nobody cares, nobody cares about me. And then she's saying, no, <laughs> do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like where I'm like, yeah. you really don't care about me. Nobody wants yeah. to do the small thing that I'm asking. That's probably what it was. I'm yeah. asking this one tiny thing and I've been doing so much. I did this, I did this, I took you here, I did this and you won't even do this one thing for me. Yeah. Is most. Yep. Yeah. And so you had latched onto this is, this is the only way that my child can show me that she cares about me is by, uh, doing the thing I ask her to do specifically, right? Yeah. Doing what she's told and by tidying her room. And when she said no, that it, it was like, it was confirmation of the thing that you knew all along, which is that nobody cares about you. Yeah. And lo and behold, is it any wonder that you explode? Yeah. Not really. Um, so, so what do we do about that? Well, firstly, it's about seeing our needs and meeting those on a regular basis, right? 
um, and noticing when we feel resentment that we didn't get to exercise today or to talk with a friend today or whatever that is and making requests of other people to help us get our needs met. Um, maybe we could, uh, if we have a friend and they have kids as well, then we could chat on a walk while our, while our kids are on a bike ride up ahead of us. You know, um, our, our children meet a need for joy and, and movement and fun, and we meet a need for connection and we're able to meet everybody's needs at once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in that specific instance, um, I think the most powerful question that you could have asked yourself, you know, <laughs> four years ago <laughs> would have been, is it really about tidying the room? Is it really about feeling order in the house? If it was, then there were a bunch of strategies you could have used to meet that those needs, right? And, and her no is not a no, I don't care about your needs. Her no is the thing you just asked me to do doesn't meet my needs right now. Maybe yeah. she had a need for connection with you. And by being sent off to her room to tidy up by herself, she couldn't meet that need. Yeah. And so maybe um, you could have proposed tidying the room together. And so that could have met both of your needs if you actually had that need for order, which yeah. it's possible that you really didn't. It was just that control that was masking and... that, that long running, not getting your needs met. And yeah. so, but speaking of, you know, because I do talk so much on stuff and organization and keeping a clean home, you know, and a lot of things that I hear from people are that they really lose a lot of patience with, with the clutter in their homes, with, yeah. with the toys in their house. Do you think that that can have like an impact on, you know, where maybe it's really not about the toys? Maybe it's really not about the clutter. I mean, a cluttered home most definitely can cause stress, mm -hmm. but is there something deeper that we need to be paying attention to that's not just the stuff? It's not just the yeah. Clutter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, research has shown, <laughs> I hate that phrase, but but it has, um, that uh, clutter can absolutely impact the way that we show up in the world. Um, it, when we are using our mental energy to keep track of the clutter, and even just to see the clutter, then we have less mental energy available to take care of ourselves, to connect with the people in our families. Yeah. Um, and so anything that we can do to, uh, to maximize that energy we have available for ourselves and for our families is only going to help and so if reducing the clutter helps you to do that then absolutely go for it and also I think you're absolutely right that very often we see this this need for control like if I can just be in control then everything else will be okay yeah and I can't control my child's behavior I can't control what's happening at school you know with the the trouble they're getting into at school I can't control the fact the dishwasher just broke and I'm not getting on with my partner right now and all this other stuff but I can control the house yeah and yeah. then of course if the clutter's still there and I can't even control yeah. the house. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the last nail in the coffin. So, um, so I think that if we are experiencing that really strong need, again, I'm putting in inverted commas for control, then we can kind of look under that and say, what's really going on here? Wait, what are my true needs underneath this? I need to feel connected to my partner, to my kids. Um, I, I would like to have a sense of order, but maybe that's actually not the, the primary thing. The primary thing is that connection. Um, and so how can I get more of that connection by seeing my, my child's needs, my partner's needs, and also seeing my own, um, seeing my frustration, my anger, my explosions, my big feelings as expressions of my need is not being met right now. And also seeing that from our children, right? right. We see our children's resistance, their, uh, their tantrums, their refusals to help. 
as, well, you're awkward. You're being a brat. This is about you. You need to change your behavior. When actually we can see that as the thing you asked me to do doesn't meet my need right now. Okay, so how can we see what really are your needs in this situation? What really are my needs? And let's find ways to, to meet both of those needs together. Yeah. And when you do that, you move into a, a joy-filled way of being with your children uh, and your partner and, and yourself, frankly, as well, when most of your needs are being met most of the time. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's, I truly feel like more and more I've made that shift and I'm so thankful. That's what the four years ago was, you know, those outbursts don't happen as often. And, I, and mm -hmm. I'm so thankful and I'm even more excited. And that's why I was glad to have you on is that, like I said, I did so much of it on my own. And I think so many parents do it on their own where they maybe don't want to say, you know, I had a girlfriend come to one of our get togethers once and she mm -hmm. kind of casually tried to like anxiously was like, I yelled at my kid. I yelled at my daughter. And she mm -hmm. like, didn't want to say it because she was afraid of that judge or that backlash. But yeah, so many of us, so many moms, so many parents, we just do it on our own because we're afraid to face it. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited to be going into your upcoming workshop that you've got going on. I'm really excited to be able to do that with you because just talking to you today, I feel that there's so much I still have to get through. Um, so do you want to tell everybody a little bit about that and what you've yeah, got going it's, on? It's called Taming Your Triggers and it's a 10 week workshop and, uh, it, I, I provide some knowledge. You get weekly content, um, where we, we work to understand what are the real underlying causes of your triggers? How can we start to heal from those? And then also, what do I do about that? How do I show up differently? How do I understand what my needs are? How do I meet those needs on a regular basis? How can I, uh, see my child's resistance, the things that they are not wanting to do and understand beneath that, what are their needs so that we can actually meet both of our needs uh, most of the time. And when we're doing that, we're not triggered. We're not flooded as much because when, when our needs are met, we don't like, it just doesn't happen. It's not like we're triggered and we're stuffing it down. Yeah. It's that we're just not triggered and flooded as often. Um, and you talked a lot about how you've done so much of this work by yourself and, and it sounds like such a slog. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's right? been a long journey. So. Yeah. So many books, so much reading, so much trying to apply. And, and what I see when I'm working with parents who are doing this in community is that it short circuits that whole process and speeds it up almost more than you can even imagine. Um, you know, you're talking about your friend who's ashamed to admit I yelled at my kid. Well, what if you got into this community of parents and there are hundreds of other people whom you have never met in real life, whose judgment you don't need to fear, yeah. <laughs> who are all saying, I yell at my kid every day. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it gives you the freedom to show up as you really are. Um, which then allows you to uh, to process things. When, and you find that when other people describe how they're processing things, you read it and you're like, I had no idea that was a thing for me as well. Yeah. And then you articulate it and the other person's like, oh yeah, and now I see this other nuance to it. And so this doing doing this work in groups is so much more effective than trying to slog through it by ourselves. And what we find is that um, when parents go through this workshop with the support, right, you have the knowledge, you have the community, we pair you up if you want to be paired up with an accounter buddy so that um, you, you meet somebody, could be somebody on the other side of the world, will never be anyone you run into in the grocery store. And, um, and, and you hold each other gently accountable to keep going when it feels like things are hard, yeah. when it feel, feels like things are too scary. 
let's keep going let's get through this together let's be really show up honestly for each other people form amazing friendships through through this workshop with people on the other side of the world um, you can do deep dive on group coaching calls with me if you want to and when we provide that structure for folks they come out the other end not just I know in my head what needs to change but I know in my heart and in my body and I feel it now. I feel different. The way I am showing up in this relationship feels different. And it's not that they're magically fixed and they're never triggered again, right? Yeah. These things still come up. We still, we're learning this stuff. I, oh, I forgot. I, I, <laughs> I didn't even realize that I had a need there and I forgot to pay attention to my body signals and it got on top of me and I exploded. We know how to repair that relationship with our child in a connecting way that doesn't mean that our child looks back on this as, oh, my parent would always explode whenever this happened. And now I can't, you know, I can't handle mess in the house because my parent would yeah. always explode if things were messy. Um, that that doesn't become a thing for them, that we help them to integrate it. And also we're just triggered less often because we're getting our needs met most right. of the time. Well, and, sh and open and sharing. And I think that's something, like I said, we're missing so much community. Mm -hmm. um, and that connection, and I hear so many people say, you know, hear so many other women or moms say that it's harder to make friends or it's harder to build those connections in adulthood. But then I also am getting to that point too in my life where I really don't want to make superficial acquaintances. Yeah. Um, not to, you know, <laughs> like chatting at the park, maybe you'll have, you'll meet like that person and you just, they're your friend right away. But mm -hmm that small talk, um, you know, versus really being able to truly connect with and share with mm -hmm. a group of people who are committed to being a better version of themselves and creating better families with intention, you know? Yeah. I really love that. And I, I'm super excited to be a part of it. This is, it's really helpful to me looking at it as everybody else's needs versus just paying attention to my own triggers or what's bothering me because although that that's been helpful to recognize and has helped me when I see myself clearly I can see everybody else a little bit more clearly but to go yeah if I if I'm coming head to head with a kid or a or you know my husband or something and go what what needs of theirs aren't being met or learning to put that language into play would be really amazing so I, I'm definitely going to be in my own head and out loud maybe making that known so that they can better communicate it I would absolutely love that and I can only imagine our whole household would function so much better and I can guarantee you not everybody's needs are being met all the time. Yeah, you know? they're not. No. If we don't even know how to understand them, never mind articulate them, I would say most of the time they're probably not being yeah. met. But when you can do it, it's transformational, not just in your relationship with your children, but with your partner, yeah. with your parents, your coworkers, other people in your lives as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for bringing that light and opening this conversation. I'm You're really so glad welcome. that we got to talk. Um, yeah, it was so fun to be here with you. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on the Unstuffed podcast today. And don't think that the party ends here. You can always check the show notes for the latest goodies and freebies that are always available to you. And don't forget, I love hearing from you guys. If you are enjoying the Unstuffed podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would take the time to leave a review so that I can hear from you too. Until next time, take a deep breath, let go of anything that has been slowing you down, and I will see you here next week.